0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, this is Todd. Do not skip forward. Okay. What I'm about to share is something super important. We are offering Blueprint Coaching. What is it? Well, it's not a conference. I'll tell you that. It's two days of intensive walking through whatever dream you bring to the table and us helping you process how to implement that dream. We walk through hands-on, practical training in a small group setting to make sure that you walk out with a plan. We're calling that Blueprint Coaching, and it's new, and we're capping this event at 300. So, if you need to lead change, but you're not really sure where to start, make sure you join us in Orange County on March 14th and 15th. Just go to lifeway.leadership.com events to learn more, or text blueprint to You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with two Canadians. Oh, Canada. Woo. Oh, yes. Indeed. It's going to be an interesting ride. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you know. Yeah, that's all you need to know. You don't sound Canadian, Mark. What does a Canadian uh, sound like? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know,
1: Daniel. I, that sounds like a Minnesotan. <laughs> oh, you. no. Know.
2: I'm from Minnesota. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey? I don't know, born, born and raised in Toronto and then uh, last 15 years in Vancouver, so. That's good. So that's my, that's where I grew up. Uh, so this is Mark Clark. He
1: is the pastor of Village Church in Vancouver. Uh, you guys actually, you planted in 2010. That was after I left Vancouver probably in 2000 and, was it? 2004. So if okay. Village Church was around, I probably would have attended. Cause you guys oh didn't.
2: well, oh thank <laughs> you. Yeah, well, may, maybe not at that time. We were in an elementary school, and there was only forty of us, so it's always a little awkward.
1: Yeah, <laughs> maybe you
2: would have walked in and gone, "What is this nonsense? I'm out of here."
1: Well, you know, Mark, you're doing amazing, amazing things in Vancouver, uh, which is, I mean, it's, I, it's actually, I was just speaking today to a group of pastors, and and this past Sunday, I was preaching on Southern Christianity versus. Biblical oh, Christianity. Wow, yeah. And I was telling right. everyone that I grew up when I grew up in Vancouver, for me to meet another person who said they were Christian, and just because right. they said they were Christian didn't mean they actually followed Jesus. But for me to actually right. meet someone who said they were Christian was a rare occasion. Whereas down here right. it's like everyone says they're
2: Christian. <laughs> you could swing <laughs> a dead cat in any direction and hit a mega church. So it's not yeah. a problem. Yeah, it's a different uh it is a different game. It's it's and even just the Toronto versus Vancouver vibe, I find mm. you know, Toronto's kind of the New York, and Vancouver's more the L.A. And people are probably uh, pseudo spiritual in Vancouver. At least they're open to the ideas of spirituality. But it's when you it's when you need to like actually make it more specific than vague spirituality and talk about you know Jesus and the gospel that things start to get wonky. Yeah. So for people.
1: Man, Mark. So we so we love what you're doing, Mark. If you haven't checked out his book, "The Problem of God: Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to Christianity," you're going to want to do that too. But let's get straight into the questions, Mark. Uh, our first one is: Who are you learning from?
2: Um. Yeah. I mean, in in person, I have a couple. Uh, really good mentors. Um, a few years ago, I was introduced to Larry Osborne. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's an up-and-comer uh, down there. He's got a little mom-and-pop shop he's working on down there. <laughs> We're rooting for him. Um, so anyway, so Larry Osborne, um, uh, he leads a church uh, called North Coast in San Diego. and um, Multi-site, video, that kind of stuff. So uh, about four or five years ago, I came under um, under him, just got introduced to him and And uh, we kind of took a, took a liking to each other and we've been hanging out ever since. And I can call him at any moment. And um, he just mentors me through everything from strategy um, to personal life to, um, I mean, when I've hit issues in the church, when I've hit, you know, major things that have come up, uh, whether that's, you know, a scandal or, you know, whatever, um, I call him and it's just like, Hey, look, here's what happened. You know, what do I do? What do I what do I need to tell the church? Uh, What do I not need to tell the church? Mm. Do we do it in a written form? Do we go on stage? Do we, you know, what about this staffing issue? What about this strategy issue? What about the, you know, what about this multi-site thing that we're trying to do? Do you think it can work and that can work? And he's so innovative. You know, people call him Yoda, right? Yeah. So he's uh, just kind of off the top of his head. He just riffs on crazy stuff and, you know, uses sports metaphors. So half the time, I don't know what he's talking about, but anyways. (laughs) Me either, bro. I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, dude. I don't know what a point guard does. So can we like flip to an art thing or something? Like, I don't. Oh, you lost me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A point what? Is that hockey?
1: Larry. So so last time I was with Larry at at Exponential. So we interviewed him twice on this podcast. Listeners, if you haven't listened to episode 89, that was the first time. And 258 was the second one. But. When I was in at Exponential, I was like, "Hey, Larry, we loved uh, Ed, Ed Stetzer, and I would love to do something with you for new churches." And he was like, "Oh, okay. Here's my cell number." And he gave me a cell number, and he was like, right. "Here's a side note: I give my cell number to a lot of people, but no one ever calls me."
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so he's like, uh, if, you, "If you're gonna if you're gonna call, you know, it's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be important." So here you go. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, no yeah, pressure. and I just yeah. did a I, I just did a thing down with him uh in, in down in San Diego for two days with uh, eight leaders, kind of in the same scenario as I am, and just learned from each other. And he was great, and you know, just walking through, you know, one of the one of the best parts of it, we were walking through kind of the top three or four reasons that um, the pastors uh, of larger churches fail mm-hmm. out of ministry, and kind of what is the the common denominators and how to protect yourself from them. And so, um, you know, anyway, a lot of that stuff's gold. So that's who I'm, you know, that's one of the big, big ones I'm learning from, uh, Ray Johnson, who runs a church out of Sacramento, also a multi-site church, um, uh, called Bayside. And, uh, he's been a huge mentor to me, him and his wife, um, with me and, and they got daughters. So the thing is, is when you see a pastor of a church, that's, you know, larger and he's got daughters who love Jesus and love the church. I mean, the first time we ever hung out with them, his two daughters just walked up to my daughters and played with them for an hour and a half at the front <laughs> of the church after the service was over and they were doing, you know, crazy games and my, and, and, and that's, I mean, for me with three daughters, it's like, I want my daughters to love Jesus and love the church. Um, and I'll do anything to make sure that that happens. Like I would, you know, I would quit ministry before I let it crush my family in that way. So he's been a great, you know, looking to him for all kinds of advice and uh, been a good model. So it has been real people like that and then uh, tangible kind of in my life people. And then there's, you know, people I'm reading and people I'm listening to. And, you know, you guys and Carrie Newhoff and reading a lot of, uh, you know, I try to read widely around leadership or psychology or uh, right now I'm reading a book about uh, how the Ritz-Carlton does its, you know, hospitality. Cause oh, I think yeah, the church yeah. needs to be the best hospitality, you know, organization in the world, you know? So how do we do that? So my staff always loves when I get into that stuff. Cause then emails start to fly around about. There's
0: a lot know, popping on whatever. I mean, hospitality they, right now. Come to think of it. I mean, uh, Terry Smith has a book. Um, Oh, my church is doing a, a, a um, series kind of on that. There's, there's a I'm trying to think. I know there's another author. What do you, so in that book, like what's what's the first key takeaway you had so far? This is the, are you talking about the new gold standard,
1: Mark? Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 So, well, the first, first take, I mean, I, when we started the church, it was, I always wanted to have this kind of, we go over and above and serve people like crazy. And we do it. So we read Disney books and we read this and that. When you become a staff member of a village, you have to read creating magic, nice. uh, which is, you know, uh, kind of a Disney culture book and kind of going uh, over and above and doing it's not an occult book for everyone else. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 No, I was go a creating, <laughs> creating illusion. Uh, so, uh, for the Christian audience. Um, and so it's uh, it's about, you know, it's about kind of going over and above and really, you know, taking the the model of Jesus serving people and serving feet, I mean, washing feet, not serving feet, uh, and really being the best people to do that. And so the first takeaway from this actually was the opening line. And the opening line of the book was a quote. Uh, and, and it said, you know, basically it said, it was heard in the foyer of a Ritz-Carlton. And the quote was, yes is the answer to your question, Dot, dot, dot. What was the question again? <laughs> and that is literally the great summary that I want to look to my staff and be like, Hey, look, this is your approach to the people we serve. Yes. Is the answer to the question. What's the question again? Mm. So that's a big takeaway uh, so dude, far.
1: Yeah. I remember the, this one story when I, when I listened to that book, uh, I remember this one story where the the valet guy, basically part of the thing about valets is you're not really allowed to touch or take or clean or do anything in the person's car. But all of the Ritz employees are, what is it? Is it up to $2,000 they're able to? Well, I don't
2: know. I'm not at that chapter yeah. yet. I don't know. <laughs> so it's
1: something like every employee I'm is really, it to. A, I thought
0: it was $1,000. Okay. Maybe
1: not. So there's some sort of right. amount that every employee doesn't have to ask, but they're allowed to spend. Disney's the same. So this guy, right, this valet driver, he saw an empty blue Powerade bottle. Okay. So he basically, and even though valets are not supposed to do this, he took yeah. it out and then he bought a new Powerade bottle, put it in there for the guest. <laughs> and the guest
2: just yeah. raved about it. Like, how did you know? Of course. Yeah. Right. And that's three bucks. And, you know, the guest raves about that. I had uh, our lead pastor of our uh, one of our sites this Sunday told me that, uh, so it's about 3,500 people at the site and he's 29 or 30 years old. He's one of our up and coming guys. And just like, he's just awesome and just owns the culture. He actually started out as, as our secretary at the front desk of our church five years ago awesome. on the computer. And now he leads our biggest site. Wow. So, so on Sunday, I mean, this is why, uh, on Sunday, uh, we have an eight o'clock service and people came in and, you know, it supposed to be coffee and we have a big coffee table and and it wasn't, there was no coffee made. He tried, he he was sitting at the actual, as the pastor, he was trying to serve people coffee and he did the little spout and water came out and he realized that the whole coffee thing was, was broken and he couldn't, couldn't serve coffee. So what he started to do was take orders from people. And then he went out to Starbucks and bought tons of coffees that people had ordered and started walking in at the eight o'clock service while I was preaching and he's handing them out to all these people in the audience, <laughs> you know, so that's the kind of like over and above stuff that I love and I think the church should be really good at and it tends to not be good at. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so anyway, so, that's- the,
1: yeah, the, so the second question Mark that we have for you is what's the main point of emphasis for your leadership team uh, right now?
2: Um. Uh, I think the main one right now is figuring out a way to develop the tension of, of the development of people recognizing how far you can take a person versus, um, wiring, calling, they don't have it. Mm -hmm. So I live in this tension. I I have these staff that I, that all of us need to be developed. We're in the people, you know, we're in the people development business or as, uh, Lee Cockrell says in that creating magic book, he says, you can't fire your kids, right? So your only option is to actually develop your kids, which is great. And, you know, keeps me awake at night because I look at all of our staff, including myself. And I say, we all need development. How am I going to develop this one? How am I going to develop? So we have performance improvement programs. We have things that we have, you know, personality profiles that we do 40 pagers and here's your weaknesses. Here's your strength. Let's, you know, all these kind of things, right? And then working in the day-to-day of, hey, I think, you're, I think your ceiling's way up here, but you're here and we're going to get you there in three years. And this is how, and you're going to be given these opportunities, blah, 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 blah. So you have all that. And I believe in that. And it's the stuff that, you know, it's it's the, it's the most stressful part of my job probably is this development of people. Mm. But on the flip side of it, then you hear kind of the Blumen thing. And he said this line, I was listening to him talk. Uh, a little bit ago. And he said this line that was completely disheartening. He said, uh, and it was a sports analogy. So I had to look it up, but he said, uh, <laughs> he said, you know, uh, in football, you, you can't teach speed. You either have it or you don't. And so that was completely like devastating. Cause I went, Oh my gosh, there is, there's this real balance that we all live in because on the one hand, we need to develop people. And on the other hand, you can't teach speed. You either have it or you don't. And so where's the balance of trying to figure out how you look at a staff member and go, you have, this ceiling is so high and we know the way to get you there. And then looking at another one going, Oh, they just don't, they're not fast Mm. and they'll never be fast. So we should just bring down the expectations. So that's the main emphasis of our leadership right now, because we have to create this pipeline. We have to create leaders to be able to plant these sites. So we have, we're have we just about to launch our fifth site now. We have four local and one cross province, about an hour and 20-minute flight away in Calgary. Um, and all these people, not only paid, but lay people, they all need development to be able to accomplish the mission that we have. And so it's working through all that development and then knowing, okay, they've actually hit their lid and this is all we can get out of them.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting though. I mean, when you think about, yeah, there's, there's, uh, only so far you can take some people, but the goal, I think the main objective would be to help people figure out where, you know, how God has wired them as you guys have already done. But the, the key is having them multiply themselves that they see, you right. know, their fruit and ministries on somebody else's tree that yep. it's really, uh, it's really about the multiplication that's your legacy. And I, the football analogy is interesting too um, because there are some positions, and there's some positions in the church, like you just either have speed or you don't, or you have that professional um, level or that excellence level in that very defined field, or or you don't. But I think there's yeah. other areas that you can, you know, like, you know, I was a defensive tackle. Um mm-hmm.
1: What? So I could get
0: stronger. You were. I don't know what that yeah. means. That's crazy. And you, Northern. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and I like, had no. I was like Todd. What Todd played dude, sports. I did. Play. He didn't just kill animals I can hit, and
0: shoot. The- I can hit a ball too. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, that stopped shortly after I got to high school. But yeah, and then you became an Abercrombie and Fitch model. <sighs> Shut up. <laughs> um, I like it. The uh, I guess you know, man. That it's always really tough to to consider that because if you looked at yeah. who jesus used these this was a motley crew man were you gonna say hot mess i was gonna <laughs> say hot mess
2: <laughs> yeah and i think i think the metaphor may either break down or work because there there are certain things that people are always going to grow in and then there are other parts about them so you can teach that guy to maybe be a defensive tackle or whatever but you can't necessarily make them go faster and faster and faster to, you know, beyond a certain point. Totally. And I think that's true about us as, you know, there's certain things about me are there's going to like exponentially grow. And then there's certain things that are probably just not going to change all that much. And so it's about working with the staff and figuring out what those things are. And then, like you said, Todd, making sure that they are multiplying out to other people, doing the Ephesians four thing, equipping the saints so that, they're not actually the ones doing the ministry. They're equipping other people to do it, which is, a, again, a skill that is tough. How do you teach someone to teach someone?
0: What's the? It's the same thing that we hear, you know, in the church all the time about discipleship. Well, I don't know how to do it or I don't do it because nobody did it for me.
1: Yeah, because we right. disciple the way yeah. we've been discipled. We teach the way that we've been taught. If we were taught or discipled <laughs> right. or we consciously do otherwise, right? And odds yep. are
0: it was an intuitive thing and we were placed mm. in a position, not developed into that position. Very yep. interesting. All right. Hey, what are, what are one or two things other than read the Bible that you have <laughs> to do every day in order to lead well?
2: Um, I think one is uh, meet with the right people. And so I try, there's a, there's a group around me, two or three of us that um, make sure that we connect and uh, we're talking about the larger 30,000 things of the church, but also the granular stuff and just connecting around culture um, because as, as the kind of culture keeper of the organization, I need to try to be in touch with the things that are happening on the margins as well as the things that are happening in the center um larry gives this interesting analogy of being stuck to the center um and in uh, when you're a leader of an organization you tend to like a principal in a school you only tend to know the stars or the really bad people you don't tend to know the majority of the regular students yeah and so if you're not careful you get stuck to the center and you only know the stars and the really bad people so I want to know, I want to be really intentional to meet with the right people to say what's actually happening. Like what that story, like about Sunday, I would have never known that story. So I have to intentionally go after and mine those stories out. Now, on the one hand, I got to mine them out to make sure that lead pastor is like, Hey, let's make sure coffee actually works on Sunday. But on the other hand, I want to mine it out because I want to know, okay, that lead pastor is setting really good serving culture in the church. And we need to, you know, be using that and you know, capitalizing on it. So anyway, trying to be really intentional to meet with the right people. Um, uh, Secondly, to read, Um, just read, read, read. Um, And just trying to get my brain around anything from, you know, Gladwell to Freakonomics to, you know, Jonathan Edwards or something like just, I sit by the fire. I'm reading Cormac McCarthy right now. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm just like trying to sit by the fire at night, you know, with my wife and just read constantly, stu- wide, widely. Um, and it just informs my life and, and leadership and the things that I do. And then thirdly, I'd say family, like just making sure I'm with those g- when I'm home, I'm not traveling. that I'm with those girls for dinner that we're hanging out together. We're putting them to bed together um, because in the long, you know, the long game, that's what's going to, that's what's going to matter in the end. So those are the two or three things I try to do daily. So, As
0: you have grown as a leader, as the church has grown, how have the people that you spend your time with, how has, how has that changed?
2: Yeah, I used to be. um, So when we started the church, uh, we started out as uh, 16 people in my house and then I signed them all jobs. And then we launched the church publicly with 50 and excuse me, the, church over the course of you know a few years grew out and uh we were at uh the elementary school we were running three services and we were about 1200 people before I hired my second pastor and so I, I was literally working out of a starbucks by myself with 1200 people in the church and my whole quote unquote staff were all lay people and so my job was to interact with the highest level lay people and then of course I would also end up meeting with regular Joe's, you know, in the church, because that was the nature of the, when you're the only pastor, that's all they have. So all the marriage counseling, all the premarital counseling, all the strategy meetings, all the culture, all the website, everything. So I, I, it was not a healthy, emotional season. <laughs> it <in, laughs> doesn't sound like it. You know, yeah. It was crazy. Uh, I mean, by, you know, by, by God's grace, guys, I held on mm. and, uh, and it didn't go, it wasn't like bad, bad where I felt it at the time. I think I look back and I say, oh man, I would not want to go back there. Yeah. But at the time, you know, the Lord sustained it and, uh, and me and, and my family. And it, you know, my wife, so much of this has to do with having a strong spouse. And, uh, you know, we had three young, young kids while we were going through all this. And she just like killed it. She is so strong and she wasn't like, and people have different scenarios. I'm not being critical of other people's scenarios, but I just got in a, I was blessed to not have a needy, a needy wife that was like always needing this, 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 this. She was like, she just goes and she does this and executes that and helps me with strategy and takes the kids there and does it. And I didn't need to, you know, stay when I needed the sermon prep on Saturday, it wasn't like every second Saturday, there was some controversy and I needed to stay up with the kids and she, not controversy. That's not the right word, but uh drama, you know, and she yeah. had to go out and I had to, you know, there wasn't, so I was freed up mentally and spiritually to be who I needed to be for the church in this crazy season for probably a good six years. Yeah. Uh, and a huge part of that is having that strong spouse behind me and, and to church and what we were doing. So um, yeah, that was a big deal. But anyway, so so it was all volunteer-based and then it started to grow to five or six staff and then I would interact with them and they would interact with the volunteers. And then it grew to 20 and 30 and 40 and now it's 61 staff. And basically, the, who I interact with has evolved over time. It moved from those volunteers to directors, lay, core lay people, then core staff people, then core pastors. And now... Um, it's really four or five people at an exec level. Um, and then they are developing all the lead pastors and, and doing the daily stuff and then keeping me in the loop every day about what's what's going on.
1: Yeah, so, at, so as you do that and as the people that you've uh, dedicated your time to have switched, how do you make sure that you have a, a good pulse on the heartbeat of the church? That you're not just preaching to people that others are interacting with on a, on a more personal basis.
2: Yeah. I try to, I try to really mine out those stories about what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I do my best to schedule meetings, uh, with just people in the church. Like for instance, this afternoon I have a marriage counseling meeting with a couple in the church who emailed in and said, Basically, my husband is done with me. You know, we have two kids, we're mid 30s. And the only person, and this happens sometimes, right? The only person I think that could get through to them, of course, you know, is me, because I'm on stage and Mm -hmm. people think that, you know. And so most often that goes to the lead pastors and that's not, but what I do is strategically I take some of those. Yeah, that's good. So then I'm constantly, you know, have my finger on the pulse of, oh, yeah, people are still dealing with this marriage issue or that or their interaction with the church is this, or, you know, I try to mine out like, Hey, when your friend visited, what did they think? What did they experience? And then out of that, we've been able to make, you know, you, you adjust, right? You, you, we used to do this thing where they, you know, they greet, they greet one another before the sermon, you know, turn around and shake hands and all that. And uh, we just started kind of listening to our people And the people started saying, you know, uh, we don't want to do, you know, it's unchurched people don't really like it. It's, it's kind of odd and it's not a thing. Well, as a preacher, I loved it because there's nothing better than walking on stage to a murmur. You don't want to walk on to dead silence. (laughs) Um, But as a, so as a preacher, I didn't want to kill it. But then I realized that it was the best thing for unchurched people because they felt uncomfortable. And so we killed it. And now I walk on to dead silence, which, you know, just is... Brutal, but I can you know I can die to myself around those things. But anyway, we learned those things by talking, getting down into the weeds. You know, even even the Ritz Carlton guy says when he took it over, he who he flew around the world, and the people he would meet with um, are the people were the people changing the sheets on every day. Uh, the people doing the laundry, the people, you know, the front desk people, those are the people he would spend his time with versus just the kind of the execs, you know, of the organization. And so you learn from talking to to, to the people doing it. And that's what, you know, what what I try to do. Yeah, that's huge. As best that's like huge.
1: I mean, Toyota, I don't, I don't know if our listeners remember, but Kaizen, my yeah. long time ago when they were talking about this idea of continuous improvement, not just... The manager is saying, "This is what you gotta do," but everyone, everyone taking ownership for that. Now, Mark, um, I, I appreciate how you've mentioned your girls and and your wife all throughout the episode. That
0: sounds diesel. <laughs> that's a that's a compliment, by the
1: way. Yeah, and <laughs> and and as we as we look into ministry, right? And I love how you gave us a little bit of a glimpse into that. Uh, we know that trials will come. We know that it's not all peachy clean, and and even as yeah. you were sharing, I mean, the load and the burden that you must have had, uh, being only the, the only paid staff member up to a church of 1,200. I mean, there's there's this, there's a this sense of hey, trials will come, and and just because trials come, it doesn't mean that God isn't in the ministry. Um, trials will be there, but God's going to give you the grace to endure. So it's 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 cool to see. The way that God has blessed you with uh, your wife and 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 the way that he is persevering you, the way that he is enduring you in and mm-hmm. through that. So I'd love for you to just talk to us a little bit more about that and what leadership in the home looks like.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think it was Larry that, that said, you know, he had lots of, he tells that great story about his, he was writing a book. And his son, when he was, I don't know if you've heard this story, Daniel, but uh, when he was 12, his, he came in and he just said, hey, dad, you play with me less when you're writing books. Yeah. And right right then and there, he just decided I'm not going to write another book until my kids are done college. Yeah, that's right. Which is, you know, a pretty big deal because at that time, you know, he was in the zone and everyone wanted him to write stuff. Um, and so he stopped and he said, you know, could there be a few thousand more people? at our church, if I had decided, you know, and he talks about Christmas Eve, he stays home with his family. He doesn't even really go to the service, <laughs> you know, that guy. and he's like, you know, could there be a, few, a couple thousand more people in my church? If I had done X, Y, Z, sacrificed a little more time with my family, done this, written a few more books. Yes. A hundred percent. There could be, but is that worth the trade off of my family loves and serves Jesus? All my kids are walking with, you know, with the Lord. So, is that worth it? And, and the answer is no. Wow. Um, uh, so you know, my job, obviously our job before the Lord is like, Hey, you gotta, you know, not as not family as an idol. That's not what I mean, but you know what I mean? That's a good distinction. Uh, yeah. Not family as like, you know, because there's a lot of things that there are a lot of times where I do go out to my office and, and write a book because I feel like it's going to be great for the kingdom. I I haven't been, I haven't been to church with my family since we started the church one time. I've never, I've never woken up and I'm not saying this is a good model either. I'm just, I'm just telling you there's, there's sacrifice on the other side of it. Um, I've never woken up, showered, got the kids ready, gone out the door and gone to church together. Mm. I'm always up, gone by, you know, gone by six, up by five. And even even if I'm not preaching, I'm there working on stuff, trying to figure out. Perceptions and parking and going around to the different sites, and da 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 So, I'm not saying, hey, if you're in ministry, just sit at home every day and pick your kids up at two. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's kind of this sometimes lazy ministry mentality where it looks like an easy job with flexible hours and you can just do whatever you want. And, um, perception. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tell this story about, uh, at, at this time I was interviewing this guy on Skype for a job, and, and I'm like, so what do you do? you know, what's your kind of forte? And he's like, well, I like, you know, I like journeying with people. This is kind of, you know, this is Christian-y, this is language we come <laughs> like up with, right? Playing golf. We, we, and- yeah. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, I like journeying with people. I like, I like going to the coffee shops and, you know, uh, discipling them through the Bible and dah, I'm like, well, I can't pay you to be a Christian, you know? Um- <laughs> that sounds very organic. You know, journeying with people and and reading them the Bible in a coffee shop, that's what Christians do. But there's a distinction between Christianity and ministry. Mm. And uh, those are different things. And like, so at the office, we don't necessarily spend two hours a day praying together as a staff because we're, you know, we're doing ministry we're not being christians together. <laughs> and that might sound really heretical. It might come out wrong. But you understand no, I, get that I get your heart. There's yeah. a yeah, there's a formality for the sake of the flock that we need to do things for the sake of the flock um, because our jobs Ephesians 4. It's not to be sit around and be the church together. It's that we need to serve the church so that they're equipped to, you know, and to yep. be able to scale it across sites and volunteers and thousands of people and blah, blah, blah. That's so, our love language,
1: uh, Ephesians 4.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. So anyways, all that to say, um, you know, being able to do those things with with my family and prioritize my family Um has been being able to spend time together. You know, oftentimes what I'll tell people, and this has helped people as I've, I've mentored guys throughout the years, uh, I, I I meet with a lot of um, business guys who run companies and whatever. And and one of the things that they, you know, the classic struggle, they're in their 30s, they have young kids, but this is the time where they're building their career. And so there's this tension of like, I'm trying to put in this many hours and blah, blah, blah. And I say, you know what? I think you'll be able to do that better if you put on the calendar months and months in advance when you're going to go on vacation. Because oftentimes if your wife can see on the calendar, okay, I know he's working really hard right now. He's working his 70 hour weeks. He's putting in his overtime. He's like, Okay. But in two months, I get him for two straight weeks in the, in Palm Springs, then it's going to be easier for her to get. So it's about planning out those things, actually getting them on the calendar so that you can you know work. So these are some things that we've done as a family. Where my wife at least knows those things are coming, and so the the harder times of work aren't as difficult, right? So these, you know. So anyway, all that leadership in the home has been for me has been really trying to listen to her, how she how she how she um, how she works, or how my family works, and then trying to adapt. So, for instance, there's things that my wife would say she wouldn't want me to do that my younger self and and younger pastors I've met with get all dogmatic about, you know, and they, well, I'm a pastor, so I should be able to meet with these people. But if I, what I've learned over time is I actually had a group of people come out and meet with me. It was me, my wife, and and our best friends. We went out for dinner one day and they just looked and they said, Mark, it's just enough that she doesn't want you to do this. She doesn't even need a, your spouse doesn't need a great, you know, existential argument um, for you to just listen to them and say, okay, they don't want me to meet with this person. I don't even need a reason. Hmm. They don't want to meet with, I'm not going to meet with them. So I learned over time that those kind of things were helping to create. And then the last thing I'll say is when I meet with those business people and ministry people, of course, but there's a great business analogy. I met with a guy who's um, been very successful uh, monetarily in life. And he was meeting with a friend of mine and he said, you know, um, the times where I was making the most amount of money were the times when my marriage was good. Every year that I lost money was a year where I was getting either divorced, separated. uh, We were living apart. We were having a disaster of a marriage and, and guys that people in ministry, men and women in ministry have to realize that their marriage at home is going to define how they flourish in ministry. It makes you sharper it may, it may, you know, th- there's been days, honestly, where, where if Aaron and I had a fight about something, I remember a couple of years ago, we had a fight uh, before I came to work about some budgeting issue. And I literally drove past the church. I had three meetings lined up. I drove past the church, called my assistant and said, I'm not going to be at these meetings. She's like, what are you talking about? You got meetings. You got people waiting. I'm like, I can't do it. My head was so gone. Yeah. with what was going on at home I just went to a star, a, a, a bookstore and sat and read for three hours mm-hmm. and you realize that if you have those that thing at home you're not going to be sharp you're not going to be focused you're not going to be available anyway so working on that home life is a is an ecosystem that's going to actually affect the success of your ministry as well and so that's why I've prioritized that's good that's good no thanks mark for
1: for sharing your heart in that and but hey before we get to our last question which is I think it's, it's one of my favorite ones because it's cool to see how everyone differs and how they answer. We did want to say that this episode is brought to you in part by uh, the Christian Standard Bible. So this is a Bible translation created to be accurate, readable, and shareable. So you can learn more at csbible.com. So let's listen to an excerpt from a new podcast they have brought in. We set out to
0: make a podcast exploring how God uses Scripture to shape and change the world. And I'll be honest with you, this has not gone the way we planned. Join me for a podcast series about the surprising ways the Bible works. Subscribe to Living and Effective on iTunes and learn more at livinginaffective.com. All right, so I get to ask you our last question, which, as Daniel pointed out, is, is often one of our favorites because you just get unique insight into who people were. So what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead?
2: Yeah, the, I mean, a lot of things. <laughs> um, so the first one is when I was 20, I was just starting Bible college. I, you know, I'd grown up outside of a Christian home. I started going to church. When I was 19. And so I got a call into ministry by a bunch of people kind of coming around me and saying, Hey, I think you're called to, I was going to go into the film industry and, um, and so I walked into college and really began to bite into scholarship and lean into, um, theology and exegesis and all kinds of stuff. And so I started to really love that. And my parents could see it and they kind of, you know, let me, you know, go with it. And so what I would tell my 20 year old self is there tends to be today a, a move in the church. And I understand all the reasons why, um, which are, you know, there are other issues, but um, to downplay the importance of education, Christian education. And I would tell my 20-year-old self, do not listen to that. Mm. Make, make sure that you continue to get your, I mean, I got a bachelor's degree and then I went on to get a master's degree and I wanted to actually go and do PhD work, but planted the church instead. Um, but at, I'm not I'm not telling everybody in the ministry needs to get a master's degree. What, what I would tell my 20-year-old self is make sure you do. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be any kind of teaching, preaching authority in the church, because mm-hmm. I think the church has kind of fallen into these two pitfalls of, and and Carrie and I talk about this in our in our preaching course. We did this Carrie Newhoff. We did this preaching course called "The Art of Better Preaching," and we talk about the two pitfalls. The so one pitfall is you have really doctrinally sound um, people who are boring. And then you have, uh, really charismatic people who are good orders, but they're not saying anything. And those are the two kind of modern pitfalls, right? (laughs) They're they're, good. (laughs) Right. And they're just like, yeah. And and so it's like, we got to fuse those two worlds together. We got to work on being great communicators and winsome and persuasive and energetic and fun and passionate and all those things, but also be, uh, you know, doctrinally sound, hermeneutically sound, bringing people into the process of exegesis and theology and making sure that people have a deep understanding of these things. And I think you can do the best of both of those worlds. And I think you can still reach people if the last eight years of our church has, has said any, I mean, I'll do three and a half years in what I did. Three and a half years through the book of Matthew that we just wrapped and we You know, over that time, we grew by thousands of people. We, Mm. you know, we baptized many, many people over the, I think we baptized seven or 800 people over the course of preaching through the gospel of Matthew. (laughs) So if you you think about, right. So people tend to posit it as, no, you have to do this, this kind of thing to be evangelistic. And then you'll have baptisms or you can be the Bible church, but you're going to have two baptisms a year. Mm. You know, that's not true. And, and we're not talking about, as you had mentioned, Todd, we're not talking about like the South. Or we're, not, we're talking about Vancouver, Canada, yeah. like post-Christian, at least a generation or two ahead of America in yeah. regard to secularization. Exactly. And God continues to pour out his spirit and do some awesome things through through the preaching of his word and, and, and uh, you know, through really focusing on gospel-centered ministry. So the point is, is those convictions – and the way of thinking, I had someone look at me one day and say, I don't think people just like, you know, your preaching necessarily. They like the way that you think. And I think that's an important thing to shoot for for preachers and teachers and leaders of, of being a, a way of thinking that you can pass down and invite people into. Um, so anyway, I would, I, that's a massive thing that I would say. Keep doing the education. Um, keep thinking and, and, and challenging yourself uh, mentally around things. Um, And then secondly, um, probably around don't care what people think as much as you're going to spend. There's probably a five year period mark where you're going to spend really caring what people think about you and you're going to burn yourself out thinking about it. So know that the gospel is true and, no, you know, it's not based on your performance. You know, the father declares down on Jesus in Mark 1 that he's beloved and he hasn't even done anything yet, as a, as a teacher of mine once pointed out. And so when you t- completely fumble, um, like I, I I I a few years ago, told a woman that her husband was dead and I had the wrong guy. He was still alive. And I she mourned the death of her husband for 45 minutes in a room with me. And I had visited the wrong guy. All right. That's a problem. So, oh my so yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, the mistakes, if you want to talk about ministry, we'll just line them up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's go. The, right. Exactly. Yeah. And the amount of times then the enemy would say, uh, when that event happened, it was about six months before we planted our church and the enemy basically said, look, you're playing church, you're playing dress up. You're not a real pastor. You shouldn't plant this church because you're going to hurt everybody. You don't even know what you're, you don't even know how to you, you visit, dead people. You don't even know how to do a hospital visit. What do you think you're doing? And I needed at those moments to really preach the gospel to myself and have others sit me down and say, it's not based on your performance for him. It's based on his performance for you. So do not let what people think about you or say about you destroy you uh, or else if we listen to all of that, if I listen to what people say about me now in a negative way, I'd be sitting in a corner twirling my hair, mm. you know, not being able to come out. There's people who make up stories about village pays people to come to our church. Uh, we baptize people wrong. And it's like, what? So I mine into those things. It's like, mm. oh, because you know, like this past weekend. Just just on Sunday, we baptized 30 people in the Pacific Ocean. Well, it was probably 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So some of them will wear like little wetsuit tops. Well, supposedly it started going around that that's not appropriate because the water is not touching their skin. It's like, what are we talking about? <laughs> talking yeah. about practice? You know, it's yeah. like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Like there's people dying and going count. to hell every day. <laughs> and you're talking about wetsuits? Like, so, you know, I can't, I got to learn, I had to learn to not let that stuff affect me. And I think what happens is many pastors and leaders out there are shepherds and teachers and they have soft. Uh, we, I mean, we're all trying to, we all want everybody to like us, but I find people in ministry tend to be even more geared toward that personality profile.
1: Yeah.
2: And they really thrive on what people say and don't say about them. Mm. And if that goes on too long, um, it, it, it will kill them. Yeah. So that's what I'd say to my 20-year-old. That's so good. That is really
1: good. I, that reminds me of the very first guy ever baptized. So he's a student, and it was amazing how he gave his life to Christ. And we were both so excited that after he came out of the water, we were both like, oh, you! I, got, I baptized you with your hat on. <laughs> Right. And we were all like, well, who cares?
2: <laughs> you know, praise the Lord for what God's yeah. done in your life. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. I think last year I baptized two drunk people. <laughs> so. Man,
1: Mark, it's been it's been fun. <laughs> it's been really fun having you on our podcast. Guys, if awesome. you have well, thanks for
2: having me guys. Really appreciate it. You're doing great work. This is good this is a great podcast you guys do. So thank you for it. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And guys, if you haven't yet picked up a copy of his book, The Problem of God, you're going to want to do this because I love, I love your description written by a skeptic who became a Christian and then a pastor. You walk through a lot of important, important topics, right? The problem of science, the problem of God's existence, of the Bible, of evil and suffering, of hell, of sex, of hypocrisy. And, and Mark, what I love about you and your ministry specifically is you just say it as it is, uh, you confront people with the truth and it's just amazing
0: to see the fruit that God has borne through your ministry. Oh, thanks, man. Thank and you. Too, just somebody who spends that much time in the book of Matthew as an example, you know, coming from um, an expository kind of background uh, of what, you know, a lot of people will say they're expository. That's legit. it yeah. that long in Matthew. <laughs> so I want to know, I want to know, what's in this book and how you treat those different subjects and how thoroughly someone who spends that much time in the book of Matthew is going to treat each one of these things. So I haven't picked it up, but I definitely will.
1: Yeah. And also this is the episode right before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. We won't be giving you an episode on God Christmas. bless us, everyone. <laughs> And if you want to check out some other podcasts on our network. Be sure to check out Making Disciples by Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain. In this podcast, they'll help you make Jesus's final words your first work. So in every episode, you're going to hear insights on various elements of discipleship and tips to implement in your own context. So just look up Making Disciples on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. And we'll catch you guys next time.